means the appearance is what drives sales. People care as much or more about what it looks like. Does it look like something I want to have in my kitchen as they do about the features? You know, that's a big factor. And if it's a big factor in driving sales, shouldn't you be protected? You are listening to Intangiblia, the podcast of intangible law, plain talk about intellectual property. Please welcome your host, Leticia Caminero. Welcome to episode seven of the third season. On this occasion, we're going to talk about design patents. We're going to talk about that protection that covers the aesthetics of a product. Let's welcome our guest. My name is Margaret Poulsen. I'm an attorney and patent attorney in the United States. Um, our offices are in just north of Denver, Colorado. Uh, I grew up here in, the, in Colorado and went to school here. Got my law degree from the University of Colorado and my undergraduate degree in molecular biology and biochemistry, also from the University of Colorado. Um, I am, geez, stop and do the math, 54. <laughs> <laughs> great age, great age, great knowledge. <laughs> uh, I started practicing law in, back in 1996, so it's, it's changed a lot. Um, I started Pulson Intellectual Property Law, which is my own firm, uh, in 2014 after leaving another firm as a partner. Um, and our firm is what we call an intellectual property prosecution firm. So we help people obtain intellectual property rights, patents, design patents, trademarks, copyrights, all of that. Um, we're not a litigation firm. Um, in the U.S. in particular, um, litigation is a very... Um, staff-intensive and resource-intensive um, thing to do and expensive. <laughs> and so um, as a small firm, we've decided to focus on the things that we're good at, prosecution, um, and work with other firms on litigation. You help assist in securing rights. Correct. Correct. Um, and then most of our clients are small to medium-sized businesses. Um, we do have some clients that are that are much larger, including some international businesses um, that have grown to that size. My probably my client that most people would recognize is iFly Indoor Skydiving. Um, so they're the ones that make the indoor flight in indoor skydiving wind tunnels. Um, so they have tunnels all around the world, and you know we've helped them with their intellectual property protection. Um, and then I ended up specializing in design patents, which is particular type of intellectual property right because of several of my clients and I find them a fascinating area of law so they're 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 really fun to do and um, often undervalued so what is a design patent let's dive into <laughs> Start at the, basics. the topic yeah um, so a design patent um, is the right you use in the U.S. to protect the appearance of a product so the statutory requirement is that it is the ornamental appearance of an article of manufacture. So it has to be something you can't just protect like an abstract design or something like that. You can with copyright. It has to be an article of manufacture. By ornamental, what U.S. law means is that its appearance can't be entirely dictated by function. So it can be functional. So an iPhone, obviously, its sleek shape is very functional, um, but its minimalist shape is a design choice, and that those are protected by design patterns. Um, design patents can be used to protect a very broad range of things, and they are. Um, so anything from phones, um, you can protect graphical user interfaces with a design patent. 
Um, you can protect um, more or less any consumer product, you know, something that's going to be on the shelf. Um, they're used a lot to protect replacement parts. So car auto parts, um, things like that. In some cases, jewelry, shoes, keychains, you know, so almost anything that's manufactured um, can, can be used with the design patent. They've really grown in popularity, particularly as we reach the world of so much online copying. So, you know, almost every brand has had problems with, you know, they, they start selling their thing online and somebody starts selling a knockoff. Um, and design patents, because they focus on the appearance, are much easier to enforce than a classic utility patent because it, you, you just look at the drawings and look at the product. And if they're identical, well, you know, you infringe. So they're, they're a very good right for, for that kind of protection. You know, the easy, let's get this thing off the internet, you know, type of protection. Um, you know, if the appearance of your device is what's, um, is what's driving its sales, then let's protect the appearance. Um, so they're, they're very, um, I said, they're very useful, right? I think people have become more and more aware of them um, in the last, say, 10 years. Um, but I still think they're often underutilized. People overlook them. Because they either focus on copyright on the um, looking for protect uh, and work art or, or an art or, or painting or, or some yeah. sort of work, or they focus on the function itself. So let's say the pattern, the inner works of, of the device, not necessarily how it looks. And Correct. what do you, what do you think is important um, to protect the design, to, to protect the appearance of a product? Um, I mean, there can be a lot of reasons. Um, for the the replacement part market um you know that you know the, obviously a car you know a car headlamp is a car headlamp um you know it, you're not going to get a utility patent on it but the the replacement part market is for many many brands a large portion of their income you know the genuine replacement parts you know that's that's a large portion of their income um so that it matters the patent attorneys you know that because design patents were sort of for a long time everybody was like well They're super easy to design around because you just have to make it look different. And so everybody sort of was like, there's no point in bothering to get one because they're just going to make it bother to look different. But what the, what the current age of internet sales has taught us is they're not going to bother, right? <laughs> they're just going to straight out and copy. <laughs> It's just going to be a straight out copy. Um, and, you know, they're going to, they're going to buy, you know, you know, you know, either your factory somewhere else is going to run a third run, you know, you're, You're running two shifts of the factory. They're going to run a third run and sell the exact copies. Um, somebody's going to get a hold of your molds because, you know, you turn over your molds quite quickly to maintain um, to maintain quality and somebody grabs the old molds. Um, I mean, the copies can be so complete. I've had copies that had my that's marked with my client's patent number. Wow. So you know, okay. they, they the, the last the last detail. The, the last detail. Wow. <laughs> That's, that's, so, that's a very thought out copying. <laughs> yes. Or, yeah. Um, and the other thing you can use, um, and the other thing about U.S. law versus your, the law of many European countries, um, in the U.S., copyright cannot be used to protect what's called a useful article. So furniture and many of those things, um, with some exceptions, that is a whole separate conversation. Copyright can't be used to protect those things. So you have to use a design patent. You know, it's important to have that conversation early 
um, because design patents are a patent. Um, they are an examined right in the U.S., so they're like patents and trademarks. You have to you have to convince an examiner that that you are entitled to this. Um, they are patents, so they are subject to all the U.S. laws of patents. They have to be novel. Nobody has done this before, and non-obvious. So inventive step would be the European equivalent sort of thing. It has to not just be a small change. They have to be definite. So when you do a design patent, you submit drawings of your device. Um, and it has to be clear from those drawings um, what the device looks like. So you can't just show one or two sides. You have to show it from all sides. Um, if there's you know, recessed areas or things like that, you may need to do a cross-section. And then in the U.S. patents, uh, there's a one-year statutory bar. So the one year after the first either offer for sale or public disclosure, either one, um, you can no longer apply for a patent. So you want to be sure to be talking to your intellectual property attorney um, early, you know, preferentially you want to talk to them before you've launched the product. But, you know, if you come to us after it's been out on the, on the, on the, uh, on the market for three years, we're going to be like, well, <laughs> we can't get a patent on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it is, it is always important to talk to your intellectual property attorney early to make decisions about what you want to do. Um, one of the other nice things about design patents, particularly for startups is, I mean, utility patents are famously expensive to get. You know, you, you know, you're talking eight to ten to twenty thousand dollars to get a utility patent. When you say utility patent, you mean the patent that protects the function of the correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so utility patent protects what something does or how it does it. A design patent protects the appearance. So an easy example I often use is, you know, automatic coffee makers, when they were first made, when somebody came up with the way to, you know, pump the water through and have a heater, have the heat plate and all of that, that would have been the subject of utility patent. Obviously, you can't get a utility patent on that now because it's known. But if you come up with a new shape of a coffee maker that looks different than everything else, then you could still patent on it, regardless of, you know, the fact that, you know, we've, you know, there's been automatic coffee makers for, what, 30, 40 years now but the, the new appearance of yours. And in the consumer world, oftentimes the appearance is what drives sales. People care as much or more about what it looks like. Does it look like something I want to have in my kitchen as they do about the features? You know, that's a big factor. And if it's a big factor in driving sales, shouldn't you be protected? It makes or breaks the product now, the appearance, how it looks, how it feels in the hand, how it's, if it's ergonomic or not, or if it's the, the materials are used in a uh, environmental conscious way. All that as well has a lot of uh, great value in the market. Finding ways to protect the design, what makes it appealing, it's a way of also protecting your investment in this uh, product. Correct. And I mean, you can, you can, so you can get design patents on the packaging, particularly consumer product companies protect, you know, they, they spend a lot of, money figuring out what what's the unboxing experience going to be what is you know what does it look like how do you how do you take it out of the box is the box interesting all of those things they spent a lot of money designing those boxes and how they fit together and all of that and if you're going to spend all that money designing that packaging shouldn't you be protecting it and it also makes an easy way again you know the more the more rights you have You know, it also helps you fight against fakes. You know, fake fake electronic products are a huge problem, both from a um, you know a safety point of view. 
mean, a lot of the fires that you see caused by lithium ion batteries are by, you know, they're replacement batteries, they're fake batteries. Um, you know, the, the companies that are doing fakes on a large scale are all criminal enterprises. And oftentimes they're also involved in human trafficking, you know, so all of these, these things that are bad about fakes, you can help prevent people from fake, doing fakes to your products by having an easy to enforce right like a design. Amazon and most of the other online retailers will take something down based on a design patent. And that's a lot easier to talk them into than a utility patent. I mean, Amazon's process for taking something down based on a utility patent is very expensive and hard to do. But, you know, the design patent, it's like taking out a trademark. You send them your design patent, they look and go, yep, that looks like it. Okay, we'll take it down. They're a very, very useful tool. Um, and, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of things you could do with them. Another thing that, that you can do in the U.S., there's, uh, and in many other parts of the world, there's a concept called trade dress. And that's similar. It's the same law as a trademark. So you, your trademark is your, you know, the brand you're selling it under. Nike, Coca-Cola, um, Fitbit, Apple, Samsung. Um, and things other than just the name can act as a trademark. Um, so some of the more famous examples, the shape of a Coca-Cola bottle, uh, Tiffany blue, those red shoe soles, you know, those, those are very, those are things that you, you don't have to see the brand name. You know what they are from the thing in the U S product configuration can serve as a trade dress. Um, but it, it's never, you have to get the, you have to teach the consuming public that that product configuration is your brand. So you have to, you can't just do it from the start. Um, you have to um, teach the, the consuming public that this particular appearance is, is what you should look for. So look for this shape, look for this color. A design patent will allow you to protect your product shape while you're teaching the consumers that this is the product shape that that is that they should be looking for. Um, so they're an important part of your long-term branding strategy um, because of that. Um, and another actually another use for design patents in the US, um, we get a lot of what they call look-alike brands in the consumer world. So it's you know it's the same body lotion, you know, so it's like you know, look like similar to or whatever and they will the people making those brands will try and put it in packaging as close to yours as they can get away with um a design patent on your packaging lets you keep them away from that you are listening to intangiblia the podcast of intangible law plain talk about intellectual property so, so how do i know are... if my design is patentable what can I look for in my design or how can I create a design with, with the idea of making it patentable? Um, so it has to be novel. It can't look like anything that's looked like before. And it has to be non-obvious. So it has to be um, just not a minor change, you know, so slightly changing the handle size. It has to be a, a different shape. Um, in the U.S., um, law has recently changed with, with a case called In Re Surgisil that says um, 
what what we compare to for novelty is only is limited to the type of product it is. So the case in Resurgisil, but the item in question was a lip implant. So it was a metal implant to shape your lips from the inside. Um, not quite sure why you'd want to do that, but okay. Um, Sounds painful. <laughs> yes, yes, that's my thought. Um, the item in question, the lip implant in question, was exactly the same shape as a um, drafting tool called a shading tool. So it was designed so you could shade your pencil and all that kind of stuff. So the shapes were identical. But obviously a drafting tool is a very different thing from a lip implant. The court ruled that in design patents, novelty is limited to similar articles. So if you said this is a lip implant, then a, then a shading tool is not what we call proper prior art that can be asserted against the patent to invalidate. So prior art is everything that goes before you. Um, and so you have to be novel and non-obvious over the prior art. But in the U.S., the, the courts just recently limited what is prior art. So that makes it both much easier to get a design because we only have to worry about your type of thing. Um, it also limit, but it also on the flip side limits what you can enforce it against. So that, that cuts both ways. But for the vast majority of companies, I, I just want to, I just want to patent on my thing. I don't care about other things. So well, that's um, a great change uh, to limit uh, what you're, what is considered uh, new. So it's only yeah. if it's inside the category, like for in this case, the lip, um, well, the lip implant category or the... <laughs> uh, we don't know the exact things so be related prior so, art, but probably yeah. at least, you know, body, I mean, again, we'll have to see that implant you know, this is a very or, recent change. So we'll yeah. have to see exactly how it plays out. Um, but, you know, one example, I mean, it's always been somewhat true. So in a design patent, if, if there's parts of the, of the thing you don't care about in the drawings, you can do what's called put them in broken lines. So if you're looking at a design patent, there's solid lines and there's broken lines. The thing in broken lines are, is not claimed. We're just saying, yeah, it's there, but we don't consider that an important part of the appearance. You could, put, you could always put more of the functional features in solid lines to, to make sure it didn't look like something before. Um, one of my clients is a company called Bison Designs. Um, and in the early 2000s, um, carabiners are um, they're the things that have the inward spring gate that's, that springs back automatically. And they were used for rock climbing and a lot of those kind of things. So you, you can, you know, click in your things. Um, and they started making them out of aluminum to be like keychains and bag holders and things like that. So they weren't going to be weight bearing things um, to hold you up on a rock face. They, they could be ornamental shapes. But when they first started making them out of aluminum, they... You know, everybody's just made the standard carabiner shapes. Uh, the founder of Bison Designs, Brian Kelligan, realized, well, if I'm making it out of aluminum and it's ornamental, I can make it any shape I want. So he made carabiners that was star-shaped and heart-shaped and um, all sorts of other ornamental shapes. And so we got design patents on all of these different shapes. And it's, it's exactly the same heart you're used to. You know, it is the exact same heart shape you're used to seeing. It's the exact same star, but nobody had made a carabiner out of them. And so, including a circle, 
you know, we get, we got, you know, I joke that I got a patent on a circle, you know, cause we claimed the gate and all of that. Um, but you know, Brian's soul. And I mean, this is one of those, like never ask your patent attorney what they think of marketing, because if we could market, we wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm like, who the hell wants a, you know, a heart shaped keychain? You know, they sold millions of carabiners. I mean, literally millions. <laughs> you know, and and so I'm like, okay, well, don't ask me what you know what that means. Um, but you know, so you know, Brian created this whole new market of novelty shaped carabiners, and for a long time, you know, in the U.S., we were able to keep everybody else out of the market. He was able to you know to sell a very large number of carabiners. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as I said earlier, design patents are relatively easy to enforce. For the most part, we would send a letter to to, to the company making them, and they would we'd be like, "You're you know, you're infringing our design patents," and they'd be like, "Oh, it does look like that. Sorry, what you know? How much should we pay to settle this?" You know, so there, it was very easy to enforce. We had a very successful enforcement campaign. We only went to court a couple of times, um, you know, and and it was very successful. Um, and so it was it was definitely a learning process that that was my first client that really started doing a lot of design. And it was definitely a learning process that I learned. No, design patents are very, very useful. And they're, they're, they're a very powerful tool. So they're. Especially that you're explaining to us that it has a certain approachability that is there. They're easier to enforce the, in, 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 in different scenarios, not only uh, analog, but also digital. So it yeah. may offer a, a, a faster, greater protection that if you're example, yes. if you're a small business, um, you, not, you don't have necessarily the funds to pursue a great uh, 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 litigation or, or a great case. But by securing yourself a design pattern, you may have a great tool that you can enforce without breaking the bank. Correct. No, they're very useful for that. And they're also, they're a lot less expensive to get. So in the U.S., getting a design patent total, I mean, again, it depends and there's factors in there, but you're probably talking about $2,000, you know, wow. as opposed wow. to, you know, six, eight, $10, $20,000. Um, design patents last for 15 years. In the U.S., they have no annuities. Once you pay your issue fee, you're done. It just sits there for 15 years and you get to keep enforcing it. They're a very powerful right when you know what you're doing <laughs> and, and you know, course, what, you know how to use them. Yeah. So, uh, so what are the steps to secure uh, a design patent? Uh, so we have to, so design patents are examined by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the USPTO. There are design patent examiners. Um, so we draft the application, and in the case of design patents, it's going to be mostly the drawings. And you want to have a conversation with your attorney about, you know, what parts do we care about, what parts don't we care about. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of things you can do in there. Uh, we file the application with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Um, you want to make sure in the U.S. Um, inventions are owned by the inventor. You have to have a written assignment. So even if it's your employees, you want to get a written assignment that that assigns the patent right over to your company. And then you apply to the USPTO. Currently, you're running about um, a year to get your what's called your first office action. So um, in, in, in the US, anytime the USPTO, either in a patent or a trademark or a design patent, comes back and says, there's something we want you to do, or there's some reason we think 
something is currently wrong. That's called an office action. So it's called that across patents, trademarks, design patents. Um, so the time to first office action is um, somewhere between nine months to a year on average. Um, design patents have a very hot, because of the limitations of how narrow they are, that means that they're generally easy to get. The, the success rate in getting a design patent is about 95%. Most of them issue. Wow. Um, many of them issue without an office action. So the first thing you may get may be a notice of allowance. Um, many times the, the, the office action you do get is, is something minor. The USPTO is very, very picky about the drawings, um, much to the dismay of any foreign attorney who has tried to pursue a U.S. design patent with the drawings that they got issued everywhere else in the world. <laughs> but um, so we may get an office action that just says something like fix these drawings. Um, Grow better. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and so we can respond to that. We can fix the drawings and then we'll get a notice of allowance. You pay your issue fee and you have a patent for 15 years. Wow. It's easier than even a trademark from what you're telling. <laughs> In many cases, yes. In many cases, it is easier than a trademark because there's you don't you don't have to argue with the trademark examiner about what's related goods. <laughs> we, we may have to eventually now with the new case law, but yeah. you know, currently it's like I don't know. This is you know, um, so there you know we we don't have to worry about the the exact wording of which goods that you you know you so end up often end up using, mm -hmm. arguing with U.S. trademark examiners. You know, nope, I don't like that wording. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it can be can be some difficulties as well. And also you have then to proof use on and yeah. on and on if you, you want to keep your trademark. Use, you have to come up with an acceptable specimen. Yeah. Doesn't matter it's, to the trademark office. Okay. To, the, to the patent office. To the patent office. Um, in, in the sign patent, it's, it's have a good uh, drawing, first of all. Yep, have a good drawing. <laughs> Have good drawings, yeah. know what your product is. Um, you do have to submit prior art. So in the U.S., mm -hmm. design patents are utility patents. So what we call the duty of disclosure, you are, you are required to submit all known similar things that you as the company that owns it or the inventors know about. Um, for design patents, what I always recommend for my clients is just send me your past catalogs and your, and your competitors' catalogs. We don't, we don't need to do a search. It doesn't have to be patents. Mm -hmm. For my clients that that file things regularly, they just automatically mail us a copy of their catalog, and we just load it into the into the information disclosure statement. And so, you know, we file that as part of the thing, and then, you know, like I said, it issues. It's it's very easy. Um, the other nice thing, currently in the U.S., cannabis products are becoming partially legal in so much of the world. You have a lot of problems protecting products around cannabis. Um, um, So the packaging in the U.S., because it's not legal at the federal level, it's only legal in some of the states. You can't get trademark registrations on your packaging because it's, it's, not, it's not legal in commerce. So the federal trademark office won't register. But I can get a design patent on my packaging because the patent office doesn't care. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> That's a way around it. <laughs> So it is very definitely a way around it. Since Colorado was one of the early states um, to, to pass um, recreational marijuana being legal, you know, we've worked a lot with our clients to figure out 
okay, what, what are ways we can, we can protect this given the federal limitations? So, you know, you know using design patents um, and in some cases copyright uh, to protect the packaging, even though we can't get a trademark registration on that brand, has been very valuable for our clients. It's a way to protect where there may not be another one as well. So it's, uh, if, if you cannot go to the conventional channels, then there's always, or there could be always a door that you can know yeah. that is a design pattern door. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, what I, you know, I, when I talk about design patents, I always encourage patent attorneys, you know, if, if you're looking at doing a mechanic, you know, a utility patent on a mechanical device, And to get around the prior art, you're going to have to describe in words exactly where all the pieces are. Well, maybe we should just do some drawings of where the pieces are and not have to argue with the patent examiner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, if you're saying, you know, that you know, this lever is halfway down the face and this is over here and you're just you're physically describing in words exactly what this looks like. Well, maybe stop and think. Maybe this is better protected by a design pattern. Yeah. So don't 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 tell me, show me. <laughs> yes, don't tell kind me, show me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and again, for small clients, you know, for small clients, two thousand dollars on a design patent versus ten thousand dollars on a utility patent that may or may not issue. It's a it's a big difference. A big difference. It's a very big difference. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's worth considering. And you know, and 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 I mean, you know. Utility patents, uh, well, I mean, litiga U.S. litigation is famously expensive to start with. Mm -hmm. You know, patent, utility patent litigation is even more famously expensive. <laughs> Thanks. You, you have to take up the hat on that. <laughs> it's, 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 a very, it's a very different, easy, you know, it's, it's a very different world. Um, you know, and then everybody's like, you know, like I said, you know, I mean, what you heard for years is, well, they just have to make it look different. Yeah, that's fine. If it looks different, it looks different. And it's not my product. <laughs> exactly. So it's no one is going to think that they're buying my product. No one is going to think yeah. that they're that getting my uh, whatever product I'm protecting with a design patent. So it's something that it works in your favor. Yeah. And I mean, in the U.S., as as in Europe, you can protect only you can make it you can do a patent on only part of the design. So let's mm -hmm. say you come up with a really new, distinctive looking mug handle. We can just we can put the mug in broken lines and just protect the handle. And then it doesn't matter if you put it on a big tea mug or a small tea mug or whatever. The core of my design when I'm what is appealing to the eye is this part. So this is the yes. one that I'm I'm going to to look to for protection because if if not, then it's true, it can be placed in any type of, of other container, like tall, big, short. It will be protected anyways because the core of my design is already acknowledged as a design pattern. Correct. So um, let's summarize the benefits of having a design <laughs> pattern. <laughs> so um, design patents are, as compared to, to, to utility patents, they're easy to get. They're much cheaper to get. Um, they're easier to enforce. Um, they are. Um, a fairly flexible right because you can pick how much of the, how much of the design you want to protect. So do I want to only do part of it? Do I want to do all of it? Um, it allows you to protect a broad range of other things. So packaging, replacement parts, 
the secondary, so what's often called the secondary market. Uh, one of my clients does shopping carts. And one of the things they want to protect, stores like to have all their shopping carts look the same. So you want, but you want to make sure they buy their second set of carts from you. So they're going to do a big first buy. And then over the years, as they get lost or damaged, they're going to buy more of them to add in. Well, you want to make sure that if, if that they keep buying them from you. So if you have a design patent on your, on your, on your cart or whatever thing, you know, that people might want to buy more of later, you can protect that further on market. So not just your initial market, but your, okay, I want more that look like this. And that's true in the furniture industry in you know, um, uh, dinnerware and like restaurant dinnerware and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I want something that looks like this, that matches. So that whole part of the, of the, um, of the market, you can protect using design patents. Yeah, because often those items become part of the identity of the business. So right. people recognize like this kind of item has belonging to this restaurant or this hotel or this supermarket or this store, because this is how they have been doing it for years. So just by looking at uh, this item, you can immediately trace it back to the business. And that is something that whoever is making the item, it's, it's important for them to protect it. Correct. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you've had it that way long enough, you can morph that into your trade dress. <laughs> of course, of course. It's, you it's get a, a registered it's a, trade dress and then... It's a win-win. <laughs> it's a win-win. Yeah. And would you think of um, any success cases? I mean, we have talked about some of your clients, but anything that uh, you would like to share with us, like a great anecdote of uh, successful sure. cases regarding design practice? Um uh, so I, um, until they were bought by Google, who, you know, I, I was the design patent attorney for Fitbit and one of the big markets for them that they weren't protecting or weren't successfully protecting was their, the, um, swap out bands. So, you know, all there, there's all those different bands for a Fitbit. So you can have a more fashionable fit, uh, you know, band or, you know, change them out, you know, change how they look. Um, and we developed a design patent strategy to let them control that market, to control the alternate band market for their devices, you know, where they were originally focused on just selling the devices. And then they realized that, you know, many people were ending up with a collection of 10, 20 different bands because they wanted their bands to match their outfit, match their jewelry or whatever. And so we developed a program with with Fitbit's in-house counsel um, to protect that market um, and allow them to exploit that market far more than they had. As I said, with Bison Designs, you know, he spent close to 20 years making, you know, he literally made millions of dollars selling carabiners, you know, aluminum carabiners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. I taped. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's a very useful thing. Um, uh, the, um, as I said, the replacement market. So for the shopping carts, you know, that, that further on market, um, uh, I have a client, uh, go light that was, again, was having a problem with fake lights. They're the ones that, you know, literally had their patent number in the, in the fake product. Um, you know, so, you know, that keeping that, that market, you know, for them, um, 
you know, that was that was a major a major part of of, you know, the long term success of the business. Yeah, when you see this kind of uh, uh, infringement like that, like all the way, it, it adds uh, insult to injury, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, it's, it's going to be such an exact uh, a replica of whatever your product is. And then I'm going to make it even in, until the last claiming detail, I'm going to put the patent there <laughs> in your yeah. product. So, wow, <laughs> that must have been quite of a shock for them. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we were like, what? Wow. You know, but on the other hand, it was an easy letter to send, right? Where, you know, you like write to their U.S. attorney and we're like, so, you know, you, you copied it so exactly. Here's our patent number. And, you know, I got a phone call from their attorney and he's like, so how much is this going to cost us? <laughs> <laughs> Name your price. <laughs> you know, so, so there was no arguing. There was no, you know. Um, is there infringement? Is there not? There's there not infringement. You were, yeah, you were past that conversation. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, at least something could get him out of it. That's that's great. <laughs> so, um, any last words of wisdom uh, on this uh, issue? <laughs> um, I mean, the main one is you know talk to your intellectual property attorney early and often. Um, and you know when you start to go into other countries, be sure to ask questions um, because the rules are different um, from country to country, and what you can do in Europe is different than what you can do in the U.S. Um, but that can work both ways. You spent a lot of time thinking about the design and how to make it attractive. So, you know, let's protect that as well. Um, and don't don't get so, you know, everybody wants, oh, I need a utility pack. You know, I mean, that's that's like the, the shining gold thing on a hill, you know, for so many invent for so many startup companies. You know, we have to have a utility patent. I'm like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. Um, You know, so so I think, you know, it's it's, you know, be flexible in your thinking, um, you know, think about your intellectual property budget wisely. Um, you know, how much money are you spending versus versus, you know, how many of these you're going to have to sell um, and, you know, have a really good conversation with your attorneys about what about this product do I want to protect? Yeah. So look at the product and think how to protect it, not not look at the IP and try to make it. Uh, uh, yes, protectable correct. like that so it's, yes. it's, it's that like, is a very good way to put it yeah so it's it's the the, the exercise is um, backwards correct but thank you margaret thank you for your time thank you for sharing uh with us your great experiences and we look forward to keep the conversation to keep talking about this uh very interesting and not that well-known bar of intellectual property which is design patterns Thank you for having me. It's always a privilege. We have reached the end of our episode. See you next Tuesday with a new guest and a new IP topic. Greetings from Switzerland. Thank you for listening to Intangiblia, the podcast of intangible law. Plain talk about intellectual property. Did you like what we talked today? Please share with your network. Do you want to learn more about intellectual property? Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website www.intangiblia.com. Copyright Leticia Caminero 2020. All rights reserved. This podcast is provided for information purposes only.